hasn't it been great to hear from some of our missionaries the past couple weeks? We just got to see the video of the Kowalskis who are serving in Indonesia. And it's just a great reminder for us that, um, you know, though things are impacting us here, God's still working and he's still doing things all around the world that we still get to partner with those groups and we're continuing to support them. Um, so we want to continue to do that. So thanks for continuing to give and thanks to con- for continuing to support missions. Um, we're going to continue to do that. And, um, you know, on that note, we've, um, as a church, we've been focusing on our um, We've been getting ready to do our invest offering, which we're doing, we were going to do on May 3rd. Um, but with everything that's going on, we're going to actually be pausing on that. Now, there are some of you who have already given to that or who are already planning on giving to that, and you can continue with that. But we're going to kind of take a pause on that and push it um, into the fall um, so September 27th, we're going to move it out a little ways for now and see, see how things play out and everything's going right uh, as far as uh, the restrictions and all that go. And hopefully, you know, we can, as a community and as an as a economy, we can kind of see where we're at and, keep, and get going again. Um, but we want to take that pressure off um, and not focus on our building at this point uh, with everything else that's going on in our world. We do want to continue to give, and we're going to continue to serve. And so we appreciate those of you who are, who are continuing to, to give, whether you're writing a check or if you found the way to give online, that's, that's the, the easiest way to do it, and it just drops it straight in. Um, but we're really thankful for those of you who are continuing to support the ministry and, and keep the doors uh, opening when we need to. And uh, so thank you for that. And you know, we're in a season of, of uncharted territory, and we don't, again, we still don't know what the plan is uh, for, for moving forward, but we're going to continue to to look to Jesus and trust him. And in John chapter 14 is where we get the title, Untroubled Hearts. Uh, Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And when I read that, I think to myself, let not your hearts be troubled, there may be other parts that are troubled, but don't let your heart be troubled. That's the key. This is not talking about a physical organ, the thing that pumps blood through your body. This is talking about the, um, it's a metaphor. It's, it's something that the Bible uses, imagery, over and over again. In fact, this terminology, this image is used over a thousand times throughout Scripture. It's one of the most used images in all of Scripture. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the intellectual, emotional, and moral makeup of a person. It's both thoughts and feelings. It's not just your brain. It's your heart. It's, it's who you are. It's your soul. It's this part of you that makes up who you are. So this image is, is hugely important. Jesus is saying, though your body may be troubled, though your circumstances may be troubled, don't let your heart be troubled. God is more concerned about what's going on inside of you, at your being, at the part of you that is uh, an image bearer of God, that that is more concerning to him than the things that are going on in the world around us. And it's not that he's not concerned about those things, but there's a reality to it that these things that we see, the life that we are, we're engaged in on a daily basis, not all of it's going to last for forever. But this part of you, the heart, the part that the heart represents is eternal. And it continues to live even after the body is dead. So God, Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. And the way we can do that is to trust in God, to believe in God, and to believe in Jesus is what he says. That's how we don't let our hearts be troubled. 
See, we cannot entrust our hearts to anything else in this life. You can't. Because everything else can be shaken. But this one thing can't. That's who God is. And his desire to be with us is something that he has demonstrated over and over again that, that we can trust him. We can believe in him. And, and through what Jesus did, we can trust in him too. And that we, uh, we give our, our being to that truth, not to the other things, even the good things in our lives. I can't give my heart in that sense to my kids or to my job or to a cause, but to Jesus. And even the things that we do to minister to others, we do it because of affection and because of our heart given to Jesus, not to those people or that cause. Therefore, it's protected against that trouble. And when we find ourselves in circumstances that begin to make us feel troubled, and I don't know if any of you are feeling that right now, we have to take a moment and pause and recognize that's not the way that we're called to live. And we have to remember this key thing as we've been talking through this series on troubled hearts. We've been walking through Psalm 23. We have to remember you are a sheep in the hands of the good shepherd. You are a sheep. If you're feeling troubled today, if you're feeling overwhelmed or burdened, remember that you're a sheep and that you have a good shepherd. We've been encouraging our kids and our families to memorize the scripture, and many of you have it memorized. Uh, but today you're going to actually get to see a highlight video of some of the kids who've memorized Psalm 23. So we're going to go ahead and play that. Instead of reading it out loud today, we're going to watch the kids do it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He, he restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness, even for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. Isn't that awesome? After the gathering today, at the end of the video, uh, we're actually going to have all the videos that have been submitted, all the kids that have submitted videos of them, of them saying Psalm 23 by memory. We're going to play them all. So stick around, uh, not just you who have kids, but stick around and cheer them on, leave a comment, and um, just you know, celebrate that. These kids have, have invested into this passage and, this, and memorizing this. And hopefully it's not just something that... Um, you know that I was, as I was studying this week about the heart, we use this terminology, you, have, you, you memorize it by heart. And you know what's interesting about that is what that's implying is that you know it word for word. But truly, if you know it by heart, it's not that you have the words memorized, but that the concepts of it have gotten into who you are. So that's my prayer for those kids. It's not just that they can say a bunch of words in order, but that the concept has gotten into the heart. And that's our hope as we as we deal with scripture, it's not just that we memorize words. Uh, anybody can put words in order, but to have it engage our hearts, the, the, our being, that it would change our lives and shape us, that's what we really, really want. So the truth is we have a good shepherd, the Lord God, the king of the universe, 
which is a title that I, I want to start using again, King of the Universe. We, as we did the Seder meal a few weeks ago, um, that was a phrase that kept coming up throughout the, the meal, throughout the night as we prayed these different prayers. Oh God, King of the Universe. And I just thought, man, that's such a cool um, image and a, and a great reminder that this God that we believe in, that we trust in, he's bigger than all of it. And sometimes, you know, we, we're, in, we're encouraged to pray our Father, so I've kind of combined them in my mind. Our Father, who's king of the universe. It gives you this picture of this all-powerful and really, truly loving God. Anyway, all that said, we have a good shepherd. David wrote this psalm, Psalm 23. David grew up as a shepherd, tending the flock. So one shepherd is writing about the great shepherd, and he uses this imagery. But it comes down to this. He recognized he was a sheep, and that he was going to trust the Lord. He knew that it was God who was his source and protection. David was a humble boy, the youngest of Jesse's sons, with a heart that wanted to follow God. And God ended up exalting him to probably be being the greatest king in the history of the world. From humbled, lowest in the family, almost forgotten about when you read the account of how Samuel anointed him. It's almost like an afterthought. Oh yeah, there's the little one who's out with the sheep. That he goes from that, that place of humility to exalted and king over the people of God, chosen, anointed, set apart. And this trajectory that we see in David's life is also one that we see throughout scripture of the people of God. Jesus himself modeled this, that we go from humbled to exalted. This is the trajectory, the pattern of the people of God. And when we understand who God is, it allows us to live in that tension between humbled and exalted. That we are humbled because we come to him as sheep, as children, to to our father, the good shepherd, the king of the universe. It's a humbling thing. But then we see throughout Scripture and throughout our relationship with him that he lifts us up, he exalts us, he shares his inheritance with us, that he prepares a table, a banquet, a feast, that we are honored guests of the king of the universe. We are exalted. We don't stay sheep. We move into this exalted place and we walk in this tension as Christians, as people of God in this this humbled and exalted state. And the way we can do that The way that we can both be exalted and humbled at the same time is the recognition of the grace and mercy of God, the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. See, there's a kind of gospel exaltation that produces even deeper humility. When we recognize that we're a part of the family of God, not because of what we've done, not even because of our heritage, the way that we, the family that we were born into, but only because of what God has done and his extravagant love for us. That's how we get to be a part of God's family. And when we experience that, when you truly encounter the grace and mercy of God, it both exalts you and it humbles you. He moves us beyond mere peons, sheep, into his children, his heirs part of the kingdom of God. It's, it's an incredible thing. And, and Psalm 23 is latent with the image of the gospel, with, the, with the, the, the heaviness and the weightiness of the gospel. 
Though David, he couldn't have understood fully the implications of what Jesus' life would mean for him. He trusted the Lord, his shepherd, that he put, he knew his, his hope was in God. That one day there would be this shepherd, this Messiah, this Savior who would come and lead the people and call them and, and reinitiate this covenant relationship with God. Ultimately, David didn't see it like we can on this side of history, but he, he was trusting in the Lord, his good shepherd, who would be Jesus. Jesus picked up this image. He didn't leave it to be unsaid. He actually spoke it. He said in John chapter 10, he said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is John chapter 10, verse 10. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When he's talking about they, he's talking about the sheep. Then he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John chapter 10, Jesus picks up this image of sheep, the sheep pen, the sheep gate, and ultimately the shepherd. That Jesus, he came to be the shepherd. The shepherd, not just of one flock, but of the people of God. For the Hebrew people, this kind of language would have echoed with the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is saying, I am the shepherd. David would say, the Lord is my shepherd, and Jesus comes and says, I am the shepherd. This differentiates to us the importance of Jesus versus every other person in the history of the world. Jesus isn't pointing to anyone else. He's saying, I've come to be that one of whom all of the promises and all the prophecies are pointing to. It's one of the reasons why the religious leaders of the day hated him and they wanted to kill him and get rid of him because he made claims like that. He said, I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. There are thieves that Jesus references here. Thieves that come in to steal or kill and destroy. These thieves are things that we look to or put our trust in other than Jesus. What is sad is that these things promise life. Oftentimes, they're, they're things that we find enjoyment in or they give us life for a season, but there's not sustainable life, not like the life that Jesus offers. And so people in our world are pulled in all different directions. Even inside the church, we can feel this tension within ourselves of these other things that promise a life. They promise satisfaction. They promise joy. And yet, if we put our hearts in those things, if we trust any of them, even a, a portion of that, it leads only to loss and death and destruction. And Jesus has come to say, don't trust those lesser things. They're thieves. Look to the good shepherd, the one who cares for the sheep, the one who ultimately will lay down his life for the sheep. And there are so many thieves masquerading as shepherds. There are so many things that will steal, kill, and destroy that masquerade as those things that offer life. And as people of God, we, we need to have our eyes open in our own lives to see those things but we need to offer and point to Jesus and Jesus alone, 
not anything else. And sometimes we get sucked into, into preaching almost another gospel, some other hope other than the hope that we find in the gospel. And we, we put that out there for people. And, and I feel like in this season, more than ever, the church, the people of God, need to focus in, hunker down, if you will, find home only in the hope that comes from the gospel, not in anything else. Because those things can't satisfy. They're being shaken right now. And Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus goes on to say in this passage that he says, I have come, these thieves have come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, that the sheep may have life, and life to the full, life abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever sat back and had this moment of awe and thought to yourself, how is it possible that I get to be included in this flock? If you've ever had those moments, those thoughts, maybe it's after your life has fallen apart or maybe you've been struggling or maybe the enemy is coming in and attacking your identity and you sit back and you go, how is it possible that God loves me? How is it possible that he includes me? (laughs) It's answered in Jesus the good shepherd who gave up his life for the sheep. He gave up his life so that we could have life abundant. So we're not here, we're not, <laughs> no one's here, but <laughs> we're, we're not a part of the family of God because we've got life-sustaining power. <laughs> we're like sheep. We are part of this flock because he has sought us. He has called us. He has made us a part because of his sacrifice. Later in John, Jesus goes on to elaborate on this issue. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to pick it up again. And this charge I have received from my Father. What makes Jesus so amazing is that he willingly lays down his life. The one who has the power of life, the one who created the king of the universe, lays down his life. He has the authority to do so, and he has the authority to pick it back up. This demonstration for us is that he has that authority in our lives to take our lives and to pick them back up again. So we can trust ourselves to him even in in the most difficult circumstances knowing he's got us. Knowing that even if every harm falls on us he can pick it up and he can put the pieces back together. He's got all power. We can trust him. It says that he has a flock that aren't here yet and we are included in that flock. If you have indeed heard his voice, we get to be a part of that flock. This passage in John 10 is a beautiful gospel passage that relates so much to this hope that we see in David's Psalm 23. That David's hope in the, in the good shepherd, this, the Lord, the God, the king of the universe, ultimately finds its answer in Jesus, the good shepherd, who would lay down his life for David for David's descendants, but not just for them, for the Romans, for everybody else, for us today. It's beautiful. 
So we tie the, these two ideas, this, this don't let your heart be troubled with this passage of the, of the Lord is my shepherd and Jesus being our good shepherd. It all ties together. And then we see in Psalm 23, verse 6, such a beautiful uh, final sentence, if you will, of this passage. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Last week we talked about the fact that we go from being sheep, humbled, just simply trying to survive, trusting the good shepherd is going to lead us to green pastures, to still waters, to paths of righteousness, even through the valley of the shadow of death. We move from being a sheep to being an honored guest at the banquet table of, of God Almighty who has called us to be a part of his flock. It's an incredible transition that David makes in the middle of this passage from one image to this image of the banquet feast and ultimately to eternity with the shepherd, the good shepherd. And when we think about that, it's an incredible grace. So David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. This, this kind of grace should leave a mark, is what David is saying. To experience the goodness and mercy of the good shepherd, it should change you. So if you have encountered his goodness and mercy, it will follow you all the days of your life. If you have, if you have truly encountered him, the good shepherd, and his grace and mercy, it's going to follow you. And this Hebrew word for mercy could also be translated as steadfast love. So if you've encountered the steadfast love, you recognize it's with you. It's not changing. And he's called us to live that kind of life of steadfast love, that it should follow behind us. It's a powerful thought when you think about it. That if you're following Jesus, your life should be leaving a trail of grace and mercy. What kind of trail are you leaving? What's following behind you? Is it grace and mercy? It's important for us to recognize uh, what's following behind us. It's a demonstration of what's happened inside of us. The transformation that God has done in our lives should be evidenced by what comes out of our lives. As I was thinking about this idea of, of what follows you, it gave me that picture of like what's trailing behind you. What kind of, like I think breadcrumbs, right? I think if, if somebody was following you, would they be picking up goodness and mercy? When you kids look at your life, parents, this is incredibly humbling. What things are they picking up? Are they picking up goodness and mercy? Oh, it's incredibly humbling because we recognize that we can't do it on our own. We need a good shepherd. <laughs> but when we do that, when we engage in following him, these things are going to follow us. So if you're following Jesus, your life should be leaving a trail of grace and mercy. Is it? <laughs> you know, as I, as I was thinking about this, it kind of got me thinking um, about another way that, that things follow us. Um, it's, it's another uh, kind of image that I picked up as I, as I began to really look at this. What's following you? Um, 
that when you look at the, the Hebrew word here for follow, it actually has another meaning as well. So I sure hope that, that we're leaving a, a bread trail, crumbs of goodness and mercy behind us that are following us through our lives that are going to point people to Jesus. But there's another image here. You want to know what it is? <laughs> this word follow, it actually could also be translated as pursue, chase, persecute, be hounded, follow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, hound me, pursue me, chase me. Now obviously the translators use this word follow for a reason, but these other meanings for this word have power too. But they almost carry a negative meaning something I believe (laughs) many of us have experienced. (laughs) When you have experienced the goodness, mercy, grace, and love of Jesus, you can't outrun it. (laughs) You can't hide from it. You can't get away from it. It won't leave you alone. It will follow you. If you truly experienced the good shepherd's care, if you've seen the power that he has, what he's done in your life. You can't get rid of it. Now, that doesn't mean that we are going to continually be in this (laughs) constant state of devotion. A lot of other things can come in. But as I read this, and and I've experienced times like this in my life, where in the midst of my struggles and my challenges, it feels like his mercy, his grace, his goodness is, is hounding me. He's chasing me down. He's saying, hey, remember me, the one who called you, the one who, who loved you, who's, who's given up everything for you? Do you remember me? That he's pursuing you. He's chasing after you like a hound dog. Or maybe, maybe like the image that Jesus uses in the Gospels, like the shepherd <laughs> who will leave the 99 sheep safe to go and find the one sheep that has gone astray. That he's not okay with that. Not when you've experienced his goodness. It's not going, it's not going away. He's not going to stop searching for you. He's not going to stop knocking on your, the heart door to say, remember, come back. I can give you life. That stuff that you're into right now, it can't give you life. The things that you've invested your life into, your heart into, those things cannot satisfy. And maybe right now you're in a season where those things are being shaken and you're being reminded by that voice, not not my voice, but the voice of the Lord, the still small voice, the voice of the shepherd, that he says, my sheep hear my voice. You're being reminded by that voice that he has more for you in this life than what this world has to offer. See, don't let the stuff going on right now on this big dirt ball move you more than the reality of the presence of God with you. That's what happens when our hearts get engaged, tied up, pulled down by other things. These things that can't do anything but steal, kill, and destroy. It pulls us down. And our good shepherd is not okay with that. He's not okay with us living a life that's 
marred by a troubled heart. He wants more for us. He wants us to live life abundantly. He wants to set up a table in the presence of our enemies. In a way, it's a demonstration of <laughs> nothing. those things that come to steal, kill, and destroy, they can't touch me. He's prepared the banquet. He's already done it. He's pursuing you. Maybe you're watching this today and you've been feeling hounded <laughs> by the grace of God. It may, be, may, it, may be have, it may have been years. It may have been years since you were following Jesus. But you're, you're tuned in today for whatever reason and you feel that. <laughs> Don't chalk that up to just COVID-19 thoughts. <laughs> He's, he's after you. You know it. He's been after you because he loves you. You've felt it. You've experienced it. You've believed in Jesus. But perhaps he's slipped so far down your priority list that you don't even recognize him anymore. I don't know what is going on in your life, but you haven't been able to shake him. <laughs> Obviously, he haunts you in an annoying way because you've tried to ignore him, you've tried to cope, you've tried to numb, but he keeps calling you. You hear his voice and he's reminding you, assuring you that there's more to this life than what the world has to offer. And I don't know why or how you've gotten lost, but I know the shepherd loves his sheep. I don't know if life has just beaten you down and your soul has been cast down like a sheep who's been flipped over and can't get back on its feet. I don't know if the enemy has, has come into your life and he's stolen or killed or destroyed something close to your heart to the point that you're not able to trust in the goodness of God, the shepherd, anymore. I don't know if you've been hurt by other sheep or maybe even a pastor. Lift your eyes off of the broken vessels you see around you. You have to look to Jesus. No one can be Jesus but Jesus. He's the only one who can, can bear that. The people in your life, the other Christians that may have hurt you, the other circumstances in your life that you may have, have had your heart broken over, he cares and he wants to sustain you. He wants to give meaning and redemption and can I tell you that when you do that, when you look back over your life, and I, I'm not at the end of my life right now, but I can see it it's just, just in, the, in the time that I've had walking with him. When you look back, you see in all of those circumstances, all of the brokenness, you see his trail of goodness and mercy following you. When you hear the stories of saints who've lived their lives, they've gone through all kinds of challenges and they see, what they see out of it is goodness and mercy. It's his goodness and mercy. See, he still loves you. He still has a plan for you. He still wants to lead you to green pastures, to still waters. He still wants to restore your soul. He's paved a way through the valley of the shadow of death and he will protect you. He has prepared a table for you to be an honored guest. Instead of being defeated by your enemies, you will feast in front of them and be anointed with fragrant oil and drink the cup that overflows for all eternity. That's the imagery that we see in Psalm 23. 
I don't know where you're at this morning. We need that reminder. He's not finished with us yet. And I know some of you, you, this morning, you're yelling at your kids. Right? It's time to be quiet. We've got to worship Jesus. <laughs> or you've been struggling emotionally. He's not finished with you yet. But I know that if we trust him, and we can look back at even this season and see his goodness and his mercy, that steadfast love that doesn't give up on us. And so Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. This passage of, of don't let your heart be troubled. We, we, can, we can live this life with an untroubled heart because we can believe in God and we can believe in Jesus. That he is preparing for us a place. A place where we will get to be with him, the good shepherd. It's not something we can earn or that we deserve. But he has offered us life. Life here, life full of goodness and mercy. And life eternal with him in his presence. Free from the bondage of the broken heart. And that's good news for us today. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. It's overwhelming. We see it throughout the history of the people of God that you pursue. You follow after. You even hound us. You've called us, that you're seeking us out, even when we don't deserve it, even when we go astray, which we do over and over again. You will lay down your life for us. You, you who did lay down your life for us, you have given us this grace. So I pray this morning, wherever we are, that you would speak that truth into our hearts. For those who have experienced that and yet have struggled to stay consistent to trusting you. I pray that this morning you would break through the cloud of noise that this world throws at them. Let them hear your voice calling them like a good shepherd saying, come back. Don't you see I love you? Don't you see I have prepared a place for you? that it's because of what you've done and it's because of where you are now and what you've called us to for our future that we can walk through this life without fear. We don't need to fear a virus. We don't need to fear loss of rights. We don't need to fear the economy. We don't need to fear anything because we know you have a plan and you have a purpose for us that we will see your goodness and mercy even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And so I pray that this morning that that reality would would move your people, God, that we would be people who would leave bread crumbs 
cookie crumbs, sweetness. Your word even talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that they would follow us so that other people would would be curious. They want to know the good news of who you are and what you've done. And so we pray for that in our lives, God. And I pray for that in this season of our lives that, that you would produce this goodness and mercy in us. That you would humble us. That you would exalt us. That we would walk in that humility that comes from your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we wrap up the gathering this morning. The band's going to come, and in, in just a few moments, we're going to take communion. And I don't know, you, you're going to be doing that at home. I don't know what elements you have available to you. But Jesus took bread and he took wine. Things that he had readily available. Things that would become a representation. Things that were images that were used throughout scripture. And he took this bread and he broke it. And he passed it around to the disciples broken for each one of them. That's one cool thing about a loaf of bread. It can be broken into many pieces. Broken for every single person, every one of us. And he gave it to them. And he said, this represents my body given for you. When you eat it, remember me. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. In just a few moments, we're gonna eat the bread or the cracker or whatever it is that you have at home. It's a symbol of his body body given for us, his sacrifice that the good shepherd laid down his life. And then he took the cup of wine and he passed it around and he said when you drink this, this cup represents a new covenant in my blood. Not an old covenant based on birthright and heritage and bloodlines but a new covenant in his bloodline. One offered to us for free, not because of our goodness but because of his goodness and his steadfast love for us. And when we drink it, we are reminded of the goodness and the mercy of God. So I pray this morning, as, as you're going to be taking this in just a moment, that that reality would, would just move you in your home, that we're taking this together all across Lewis County and really all over the world this morning. People are engaging in communion in their homes, remembering Jesus, our shepherd, who gave up his life for us, that we could have life to the fullest. Would you sing with us this morning?